1: in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do.
4: It's
5: time to stand up or we're gonna lose everything we have. Director
1: of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game,
5: this is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio
4: talk show host.
1: Some things are worth fighting for.
4: The second impeachment trial is expected to begin with debate over whether it's even constitutional and then a simple majority vote, then 16 hours for House managers to make their case, 16 hours for the president's defense. I'm pleased that Leader Schumer and I were able to reach an agreement on a fair process and estimated timeline. The Trump legal team writing in a brief submitted today that- the trial is going to be political theater, blaming Nancy Pelosi. Quote, the Speaker of the House and her allies have tried to callously harness the chaos of the moment for their own political gain. So what's the approach of the former president's legal team in mounting his defense? What we're really seeing here from the Democrats is
5: cancel culture on a constitutional level.
4: On the other side, the House impeachment manager's brief concludes the House will establish at trial that President Trump merits conviction and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. This is an open and shut case. Republicans note prominent Democrats have used harsh rhetoric too, such as California Congresswoman Maxine Waters urging supporters in 2018 to confront Trump cabinet members.
3: Tell them
6: they're not welcome. I didn't say go and fight. I didn't say anybody was gonna have any
4: violence. The wild card is witnesses. If the impeachment managers want to call witnesses or subpoena documents and the Senate supports it, that could stretch this trial out for a long time.
1: All right, that was Mike Emanuel of Fox News, and that is the big story of today. The second impeachment trial of President Donald J. Trump begins this morning. This afternoon at 1 o'clock. And, um, of course, he was just impeached on January the 13th. Uh, the House uh, is uh, can not – they're salivating. They can't wait to do this. And, of course, Republicans are not really standing in their way in spite of what Mitch McConnell says. You know, Mitch was all in. Uh, he was so angry with President Trump, and he completely stabbed him in the back. I, I think of that, again, uh, that famous Julius Caesar play by uh, William Shakespeare where dramatically – the senators who were closest to Caesar stab him one by one, one at a time, and finally it comes to Brutus, uh, who was, had been uh, very close to the Caesar, and Caesar looks at him and says, a to Brutus, and you, Brutus, that's really what we have. There's just no question in my mind, and uh, they should not even be approaching, this is an unconstitutional event. John Roberts refused. Actually, he called, this has not been big news, but he called and said, I will not be there. This is not constitutional. That's really why um, Patrick Leahy, Patrick Leahy, you'll hear him, boy, you'll hear a lot from him, is going to be presiding. The, uh, the crypt keeper, uh, leaky, uh, deceptive lying senator from uh, the 80s, uh, and he is in his 80s now, will lead the whole procedure. It's perfect, actually. He's the perfect person to oversee this. It's a, it's a moment of achievement, of triumph, of the grand uh, platform given to the lying senator after all these decades. What a crowning achievement. And so the things that they're charging President Trump with, he's in Q, uh, the primary uh, accusation is incitement of insurrection, and uh, incitement of insurrection because of what happened in the Capitol on January 6th. And just to be clear, uh, we're going to talk about that. I have some really interesting um, things and a special guest to introduce you today, but they're they're treating, the FBI and the DOJ are treating 9, uh, January 6th like 9-11. They're putting as many resources in scoping out and finding every single person who was breathing in the vicinity of the Capitol or, you know, at the rally for President Trump and uh, going after them as though they are hardened criminals. It's It's really, that's exactly what's happening. And uh, we will be talking more about that today. And, of course, they're accusing President Trump of inciting that riot. And they're saying that five people were killed. But the truth is on that, one policeman was killed, and they have not really received released his actual cause of death. I just want you to know that one woman who was a Trump supporter was shot by Capitol Police. uh, And she was climbing up on a window to try to get into a chamber after it had been broken and yet you know, she shouldn't have been doing that, but that's what happened. The Capitol Police, it was a real brutal response, and that's a questionable action, uh, but no one's looking into it, and you can't even remember her name. It was Ashley. Uh, one person died of a heart attack, one person died of a stroke, and a policeman later committed suicide, but we don't know really why that either. So those are the five deaths, just so that you know, when they start saying that five people were killed, that's really... Uh, not accurate, and it's certainly um, you know it's kind of like COVID deaths. <laughs> they all died of COVID because they <clears throat> happen to die in conjunction with the event. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, they will blame it on uh, President Trump, and that's what's going to be happening. And you just heard Mike Emanuel describe the debate. They're going to drag it out uh, if they call in witnesses. It is going to get messy. Lindsey Graham addressed that recently. He said if you call witnesses, then we'll call witnesses, and you're going to find out a lot of things about this and why the FBI is treating it the way they are that you wish you hadn't asked. Uh, the FBI, <clears throat> uh, the FBI, of course, is uh, all over this, and I'm sure they'll be glad to help, but we know that they're all over Trump supporters and not all over Antifa and Black Lives Matter and other people that we suspect were involved on that day. The Trump uh, t- uh, legal team seems pretty competent to me, at least based on what I'm reading about their uh, qualifications. And uh, we're not exactly sure, you know, uh, what approach they say publicly. They're going to just talk about the unconstitutionality of the event. But I think if push comes to shove, I'm just guessing, they might actually talk about uh, other things too. So just stay tuned. But nevertheless, it is an event that should not even be taking place. One of the reasons that the Democrats are pushing so hard, and I think Mike Emanuel mentioned this at the end of his piece, is that they want to make it, at least at the very least, they want to prevent President Trump from ever holding office in the future because they're still afraid of him. Uh, And so, well, I think they want to do worse to him, but at least they want to do that through this process. And so um, they're saying that the Republicans, you know, uh, the Republicans will stand fast. 45 of 50 Senate Republicans voted that this trial is unconstitutional last week, but they're still going ahead with it, I might add. And, um, Uh, I would say that the reason they voted that way last week was because they heard from their uh, local offices, from voters like you, who said, uh, well, what did you say? You probably weren't crazy that they were going to try to impeach the president. Let's see, Mitt Romney, uh, Susan uh, Collins, and many uh, other—Mitch McConnell was moving toward doing that before he heard from constituents, and then suddenly they had a heart change. So— I have to say, this is a, they're trying to save their, um, as my kids in Scotland would say, bums. And so um, that's why this is going forward. But I think it was put very well uh, by a man named uh, Henry Mark Holzer. His name won't mean much to many of you, most of you probably. He is a renowned constitutional scholar. He's a former law professor from Boston. Uh, he's written many, many books. And he's in his 80s now. Uh, And this is what he wrote in regard to what's happening, and I wanted to read it to you. Suffice it to say that he's talking about the Senate. This is an open letter to the leadership of the United States Senate and its members. Suffice it to say that body's leadership and all of its members have made a colossal, tactical, strategic, and moral mistake by sanctioning the three grounds unconstitutional proceedings. Indeed, the leadership and members of the United States Senate have shamed themselves forever. By participating in the proceedings, they have sanctioned it and thus provided a legitimate, legitimization of the flagrantly illegitimate. I'm reminded of portions of John Galt's speech in Atlas Shrugged by the late Ayn Rand, and I'm not endorsing this book. I do, I, I do endorse what he quoted from it. This is the quote. This is John Galt's speech in Atlas Shrugged. It is good the men of reason who act as their own destroyers, who transfuse to evil the blood of their virtue, and let evil transmit to them the poison of destruction, thus gaining for evil the power of survival, and for their values the impotence of death." I saw that there comes a point in the defeat of any man of virtue when his own consent is needed for evil to win. And then no manner of injury done to him by others can succeed if he chooses to withhold his consent. I saw that I could put an end to your outrages by pronouncing a single word in my mind. I pronounced it. The word was no. Back to this letter the leadership and members of the United States Senate could have said no, and thus have withdrawn their sanction while saving their reputations, pride, and self-esteem, simply by showing up and the every last woman and man of them turning their backs and walking out. Shame, shame, shame. And that from Henry Mark Holzer. I thought it was profound, and I wanted to share it with you. All right. So you're going to hear a lot of testimony. Uh, You're going to hear test. Well, videos. You're going to see from Trump's defense team of the many things that uh, various um, lawmakers uh, and uh, activists on the Democratic side have said that were threatening. Uh, They're going to talk about Chuck Schumer threatening the uh, Supreme Court on the steps of the Supreme Court. A real legal. Honestly, I wish I had that clip, but you'll hear it as they uh, as the trial unfolds. Uh, Maxine Waters will be front and center with all the comments she's made. Meanwhile, um, I told you that the FBI, we talked about this yesterday, and we will be talking about it a lot. They're using extraordinary measures, facial recognition, phones, everything to track down all the people that were there on January the 6th. And Joe Scarborough has a suggestion. He has it all in mind what we should be doing with these horrible uh, insurrectionists that came to the Capitol and to hear President Trump on January the 6th. Here's his suggestion, clip 9.
3: And, Reverend now what's so disturbing is how comfortable every one of these terrorists are filming themselves while doing acts. Most criminals, most mobs, most terrorists, uh, they they don't take selfies of themselves while they're breaking into the United States Capitol, while they're breaking into a government building and then brag about it. These people obviously felt, for whatever reason, like they were beyond reproach. That they could be terrorists, they could go in and, and, and commit sedition against the United States by stopping a constitutional action by the United States Congress, uh, and they wouldn't be brought to justice. I think that's all the more reason why it is critical that the FBI does launch the largest manhunt in U.S. history, drag all of these people into prison, uh, recommend that they stay there uh, and if they're inside the Capitol for a full 20 years for committing sedition against the United States of America.
1: Oh, OK. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's, uh, that's merciful of you. And of course, that's uh, what the media is just going frantically crazy with. And so are many people on the right as well. Uh, Liz Cheney is not helping. I want you to hear what she had to say just a few days ago. Clip one.
2: Well, I think you have to read the language of the censure partly. I think, you know, that uh, people uh, in the party uh, are mistaken. Uh, they, they believe that BLM and Antifa were behind uh, what happened here at the Capitol. That's just simply not the case. It's not true uh... and we're gonna have a lot of work we have to do people have been lied to uh... the the extent to which uh... the president president trump for months uh... leading up to january sixth spread the notion that the election had been stolen or that the election was rigged um, it was a lie. And and people need to understand that. We need to make sure that we as Republicans uh, are the party of truth and that we're being honest about what really did happen in 2020. So so we actually have a chance to win in 2022 and, and win the White House back in 2024.
1: OK, so thank you, Liz Cheney. There was no voter fraud, none whatsoever. None, Liz says. And there was no Antifa and Black Lives Matter involved uh, in the incursion into the uh, cha- Capitol on January 6th. None. Liz says so, and so it must be true. President Trump made all of that up. And so that's part of the basis why someone like Joe Scarborough would jump in and say, then those people are insurrectionists, and they must be put in prison. They must serve 20 years. Nothing less will do. Well, that's the mess we find ourselves in. And when we return, uh, we have a listener who contacted me uh, just yesterday about being at the Capitol on January the 6th. And uh, I've asked her to join us. Uh, not by her real name, but by another name, to tell us what she saw and what her own observations were, because it's going to be the topic of conversation in this impeachment for the next probably two weeks. Sandy Rios, in the morning, on AFR Talk.
6: Byron Paulus with Life Action Ministries and the founder of One OneCry.
5: Right now, the iron is hot. The desperation is growing, and people everywhere are talking about the potential of revival and spiritual awakening. I know of no better time than to inject in the middle of that what has been the longest running continuous revival conference in North America. It's called the Heart Cry for Revival Conference. It'll be integrated with the Collegiate Day of Prayer, a powerful time with speakers that we have carefully selected to help lead us into an understanding of the ways of God right now in the midst of all that He is doing.
6: The Heart Cry for Revival Conference is February 24th through the 26th. This year's conference is available exclusively online. Register for free at heartcryforrevival.org. While you're there, check out the list of speakers and workshop
5: leaders. I look forward to seeing you end of February, Heart Cry for Revival Conference. Hello Americans, I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next.
7: At Liberty University, we believe in honoring service. That's why we offer first responder and military communities deep discounts on all of our 450-plus online programs. Military students, veterans, and spouses pay just $250 per credit hour for undergraduate and $275 to $300 per credit hour for graduate and Ph.D. courses. First responders receive a 25% tuition discount, and those who qualify may be able to use both discounts for even greater savings. It's our way to say thank you for all you do. To learn more, text Degree to 49595.
5: Congressman Louis Gohmert and Andrew Clyde are the first to face fines for walking around metal detectors. Shortly after the January 6th riot, Speaker Nancy Pelosi had metal detectors installed on Capitol Hill. A good many Republicans have refused to comply, walking around the detectors, in some cases marching right through them without even stopping. So Pelosi implemented another policy. Anyone who violates the order gets fined $5,000, a second offense, 10000 bucks, garnished directly from their paychecks. Now there's some debate about the constitutionality of all of this, Congressman Thomas Massey of Kentucky says the Constitution says lawmakers cannot be detained coming or going from the House floor. But that's not what this is really all about. This is about political theatrics, advancing some sort of a harebrained conspiracy theory that Republican lawmakers are out to get the Democrats. I'm Todd Starnes.
0: Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio.
2: Well I think you have to read the language of the censure partly. I think you know that People uh, in the party uh, are mistaken. Uh, they, they believe that BLM and Antifa were behind uh, what happened here at the Capitol. That's just simply not the case. It's not true. Uh, and we're going to have a lot of work we have to do. People have been lied to. Uh, the, the extent to which uh, the president, President Trump, for months uh, leading up to January 6th, spread the notion that the election had been stolen or that the election was rigged, um, was a lie. And and people need to understand that. We need to make sure that we as Republicans uh, are the party of truth and that we're being honest about what really did happen in 2020. So, so we actually have a chance to win in 2022 and, and win the White House back in 2024.
1: You know, well, I'm all for being honest, too. So we're going to be honest here. and We're going to talk about what we know and what we can know for certain about what happened in the Capitol and near the Capitol on January the 6th. A friend of mine, Mike Waller, who is a national security expert, and actually I'm going to ask uh, Mike to join us. I should have done this sooner because he wrote a whole long piece the day after. Uh, he wrote it the evening of the 6th and the morning of the 7th, a long piece about what he saw because he went in purpose. He's been involved in lots of riots through the years and worked uh, with the CIA, and he's just, uh, he knows how to analyze crowds. So he analyzed that crowd, and he had a lot to say about it. I'm I'm not going to pick out everything he said, but I want to read this one paragraph. Of the thousands of people I passed or who passed me along Constitution Avenue, some were indignant and contemptuous of Congress, but not one appeared angry or incited to riot. Many of the marchers were families with small children. Many were elderly, overweight, or just plain tired or frail, traits not typically attributed to the riot-prone. Now, that's a capsule. He also talks about uh, the um, militants and provocateurs that he observed. And again, we'll come back to Mike's piece at a later date. But many of you, uh, this will not be the first conversation, at least in writing, that I've had with some of you who were there on January the 6th. And as I said before, I would have been there except that my, uh, well, I, I, it's a, <laughs> I don't want to get sidetracked, but we had a medical reason why we couldn't be there. Otherwise, I would have been there. So um it could have been me with you I wish it were I wish it were but now the uh focus uh and the 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 wrath of the federal government is coming down on people that Mike just described just average citizens who but according to Liz Cheney uh were lied to by the president there was no election fraud and you know there was um Uh, There were no Black Lives Matter or Antifa protesters there, but were there. Because as Liz said, we really want to know what the truth is. Well, I heard from uh, a listener who I will call Nancy, uh, who was uh, there yesterday, and she gave me a really um, good description yesterday. She was there January 6th and gave a good description of what she saw and experienced, and I wanted her to join us. And so she's agreed to do that this morning. Nancy, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me very much, Sandy. honored to be now, here. Let me just say, uh, by general description, Nancy's a prof- professional person. Uh, she is, is a historian. Uh, she actually worked for a time at the National Archives in D.C. Uh, she uh, and some friends drove to D.C. on that day. And so I want to ask you, uh, Nancy, first of all, why in the world? Why did you do that? What was your motivation
9: To support the president, the duly elected president, who I feel, and so did my friends, really feel he has been um, such a fine president, bringing back our economy and standing for the integrity of the United States. I mean, no one's perfect. I've always seen um, President Trump as kind of a salty dog sea captain at the helm of our ship here, our ship of state. And um, I was raised with brothers. I know that not, you know, not every guy says everything perfectly all the time, but I love his heart to the nation. So we wanted to pray, and the whole crowd up there—it seemed like we were. It was very calm, by the way. I liked your description you just
1: read. Yeah. It
9: was like a family
1: reunion. Nancy, let um, me were, uh, let me interrupt for a second. I mm-hmm. want to take you mm-hmm. back because I want. I, I, we're going to do a little, a lot of this because I, you know, sometimes you gather information and it changes your, you know, your. Information that comes in changes your perspective. So I'm trying to get you to go back mm-hmm. and rediscover okay. how you felt at the time. And also the other, the second thing is, were you when you got in that car to drive to D.C. Uh, with your friends? Did you expect that you would go to the Capitol after the president spoke? Did you have any expectation of what might happen afterward?
9: No, I had no um, preconceived notion of walking down Constitution to the Capitol. Um, I didn't know. There was a a little schedule someone showed me when I went up there, and it was called the Jericho Walk. It was to just go and pray for the evidence that was being presented by Congress about the election fraud. So we did not know. We just went to hear the president. He was supposed to speak at 11. Um, It was cold. We got up there about 9 in the morning, um, found a place to park at about F and 6th Street. It was very difficult to find that. It was an entirely different city it seems than when I worked up there um It really was shut down. There was hardly anything open. I remember in the eighties working up there, people were you know striding and going to work and happy and this was just the whole tenor of this of the city was different with places walled off and you know fencing and no bathrooms they did not make it welcoming for uh, this gathering. and But it really was, um, the tenor and the tone of the group there was like a family. As you said, there were older people, there were families, there were, you know, parents, younger people, dogs. I was standing right next to a dog, every people that had come from Pennsylvania and Michigan, and everybody huddled really kind of cold, but so glad to be together with their red, white, and blue.
1: All right, so the president began speaking at eleven, and I watched it on television. I know it was really cold, uh, but uh, uh, you heard. Actually, I'm Actually, sure... he didn't come
9: on till twelve. He did, it, it was an oh. hour. He it was
1: okay. an hour later. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So he spoke, and he was talking about. I remember. He remind me. <laughs> let's think it through. It. Mm-hmm. I didn't rewatch it. He he talked about election fraud, and he actually laid it out. And pretty that uh, wasn't everything he said, but toward the end, that's what he did. Right. Right, but the words were, if we
9: could. We were so far back, we could hardly hear him. Um, but, you know, he did not incite anything. He was, you know, very presidential. I um, mean, he was behind a bulletproof glass. Um, I have pictures. It's just, he's teeny like a pinprick. He was that far away because it was so, <laughs> uh, it was so crowded.
1: Well, wow, there were so um, many people there. Yeah. Yeah, they really Well, were. at the end, I wish we had the clip, but I don't have it handy. But at the end, he said, you know, uh, 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 we're going to go to the Capitol, do it, make sure you you do it peacefully. And there was another uh-huh. uh, another adjective or adverb that he suggested. So it certainly wasn't an excitement to write. That's just ridiculous. It really is. It is
9: completely
1: far-fetched.
9: He yeah, was and peaceful.
1: He yeah, we have it on tape, so it really can't be disputed, so I'm sure it'll come up this week. But mm-hmm. I'm sorry, so you said in your uh, correspondence to me that you were the some of the first people to get to the Capitol. So how did that happen, why did you do that?
9: Well, we were cold. You know, we've been listening, and um, again, like I say, we were really far away. So um, my friends said, well, we're going to, you know, walk on down, you just take a walk kind of for warmth, and we knew that was going, that was on the schedule to walk down to the Capitol and, again, this was a peaceful group. Um, people had flags. So I love to walk and exercise. And so we walked um, on down and were gathering down below kind of the reflection pool and the sloping grass. And we went to the left-hand side, um, just marveling at the beauty of William Thornton's Capitol building. And, um, you know, the scaffolding was all up for the inauguration So there were bleachers on the left-hand side and, of course, that tall tower everyone is now seeing in magazines and newspapers and things on the right. But I don't really like crowds, but I was very glad to be there to support our nation. And this is, um, you know, this is a city that is beautiful and is supposed to stand for such important, noble things in our country. And anyway, um, there was... And if you want me to go ahead and tell,
1: who, you yeah, know, yeah. So, all right. Happened. So the question, the question is, okay. So you go and you're some of the first people there. Now, let me before mm-hmm. you go into this. Did you notice anyone actually going in the Capitol at that point? Oh no, Mm-mm. this at
9: this time is about one o'clock, um, maybe a little bit after. And I did notice some very different things. I there were some people that stuck out almost like they were in Halloween costumes or garb. And they were very different than the the majority of the, you know, the, the typical god, home, and country okay, patriots. So, and, and, yeah.
1: So how was that? I mean, it would describe, because you sent me some sketches, uh, describe to me yeah. the ones that really stood out to you.
9: Well, on the left-hand side, as the sloping grass started to go up by these features, there was a just a completely on fire woman with you know just her her voice. She had a bullhorn. She was screaming at us. She was a little bit heavy set, long hair, um, and she was saying profanity. She was you know really offensive, and I I just was kind of standing back. I wish now I had had the presence of mind to just ask her what group she was from or where she was from, and there were several other colleagues of hers that were moving around her, and um, they also incited us, as we were walking down, there was another guy with a bullhorn, and I believe he ended up climbing up that um, tower, and those two were kind of communicating, they had the same kind of bullhorns, and they had led us in this chant, whose house, our house, whose house, our house, which, when you gave your show yesterday, and you said in D.C. there was a storming in the streets about, you know, whose streets? Our streets. Whose streets? Our streets. That just struck me as exactly the kind of uh, chant that these people were leading this very
1: peaceful crowd to do. Yep. You know what, Nancy, let's take a pause for a second, because we pulled that up, and I want want to play it. This is what happened in D.C. two nights ago. Uh, and I want people to hear it, uh, just to, to make Nancy's point. Let's listen. Our streets! Our streets! Our
11: streets! Now, our streets!
1: Our streets! Our streets. Our streets. All right, yes, and I have to say, now that was a Black Lives Matter, marching through the streets of Washington, completely uh, uh, undisturbed by any police, harassing uh, uh, people uh, uh, who are eating and and homes, shining lights into homes. Uh, And that is kind of one of their kinds of chants. So they're saying, whose street's our streets?" So, Nancy, you're saying, they're saying to you guys, whose house, our house. Now, did people join in with that chant? Some did. And that's where this gets
9: complicated. You you have, yes, people um, who were at the Trump rally, I think, you know, again, it was very peaceful. But, of course, you're going to have some young exuberant you know guys and people that have felt that this was this election was not right but they were not leading this there was an entirely different spirit and these two women that were kind of about 10 feet away from me they even were saying we need to go around to the other side that's where we'll get in they'll let us in that's where congress is and nobody did i my friends and all the sort of you know, naval guys and people's families that were there, they were just kind of gathering. We were going to pray. I didn't know if there was going to be a speaker. This was different. And the fact that they're pinning this on the president is just so wrong. And by the way, just stop and logically think who stands to benefit if the evidence of election fraud gets interrupted? Not President Trump not the Trump supporters. When that incursion diversion took place, and by the way, there were a lot of, um, and again, I, I am aware of what the Antifa types look like, and there were a lot of them in their, you know, solid black, and then they'd have one little hat on with Trump or they'd stick a sticker on or a pin. But those were the sort of like Spider-Man became, you know, started coming up the front and...
1: To you mean climbing the, that window. Yeah, climbing the wall? Yeah, the wall. Were you there and when that, that happened? A firecracker... You, mm-hmm. did, but, okay. did you see that? Yes,
9: I saw. I saw the... Now, what happened when that woman was so offensive and so on fire, and then a firecracker went off on that first ledge of the wall, and... It, I jumped out of my skin. I don't like fire, They're too they're too loud. And there was a puff of smoke, and I just looked down Constitution. I saw all these people coming. I saw these characters who were screaming at us. And I just uh, my antenna were up, and I just said, I'm, I think this is. I'm going to go back. I'm cold. I want a sandwich. So another friend of mine and I we, we we left. We went down to the base of the hill, and we watched more of the people come. But by the time we got back to the car, then we turned on the radio and we heard that something had happened. It was totally choreographed. This was, they they were so, the people on the bullhorns wanted us to get closer and closer, I believe, so that we, that would blend in and seem like the Trump supporters. And that needs to be looked at very carefully by the FBI. This was, there was a force and an effort within this and it it really did not characterize at all the good god home and country Americans that were
1: there. Nancy let me interrupt you Uh, I'm sure they'll be right on that Uh, tongue in cheek I say I'm sure they won't be right on that that's the problem and Nancy stay with me if you will and I also want to open up the phone lines I have a couple of important questions for you on the other side Uh, But it would be interesting if any of the rest of you were there. I know some of you have called, but let's revisit that. Our phone number is 888-589-8840. Not just call and say, yes, I was there. But if you have something to tell that you saw or observed, and I mean an honest observation, one that if you can possibly unskew your mind from all this other stuff and just honestly say what you saw, that would be good. 888-589-8840. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
10: I'm Francine Perry. I am the mother of Laura Perry, who was a prodigal for nine years and lived as a man. When Laura came home, we were all ecstatic. And so I just woke up one night and it just kind of laid on my heart. We need to start a a specific basket with names of prodigals in it that we will pray over. Learn more
0: or submit a prayer request at inhisimage.movie/prayer.
10: Because we all have someone.
0: Washington Watch advances a culture where human life is valued and religious liberty thrives. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, host of Washington Watch, right here on the American Family Radio Network, inviting you to join us each weekend for the weekend edition of Washington Watch for the latest from our nation's capital on what is happening as it pertains to faith, family, and freedom. You'll hear from policymakers, congressional leaders, and others each day, 4 p.m. Central Time.
11: Be there. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The book of Proverbs is one that flows with abundant insight for wisdom. It shows that one of the most prominent qualities of wise people is that they welcome and even celebrate life-giving correction. In today's world, overrun by cultural Marxism, there is much discussion as to what segments of our society hate themselves. Well, Proverbs gives the answer he who rejects life-giving correction despises himself the truest demonstration of self-hatred is revealed by knuckleheads who refuse to humble themselves and embrace life-giving correction loving
3: rebuke saves lives correction displays love listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m central for the hamilton corner with abraham hamilton iii public policy analyst for the american family association Brian Fisher here with today's Life and
4: Liberty Minute. As Trump's impeachment trial begins, it's worth noting the Constitution says state elections are under the control of state legislatures, not judges or election officials. But in Pennsylvania, courts ordered ballots to be accepted three days after the legal deadline. In Wisconsin... 220,000 absentee ballots were accepted in violation of state law. In Georgia, thousands of ballots were accepted from people who were felons or had moved out of state. Over 60,000 illegal votes were cast. The violations of the law in those three states alone were massive enough to cost Trump the election. If Trump bases his case on the Constitution, he will be acquitted, and every objective observer will see that he should have been
0: and regressives will be seen for the knaves and fools that they are. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Affney with the Secure Freedom Minute. In Donald Trump's second impeachment trial, the former president is not the only one in the dock so are tens of millions of us if house prosecutors can successfully implicate mr trump's supporters in his alleged seditious conspiracy after all the stated purpose of democratic partisans is to prevent donald trump from regaining the presidency in 2024 consequently they will not only be vilifying him but using every opportunity to marginalize and suppress like-minded Americans. So, expect to hear a lot in this trial about the threat posed by so-called racists, white supremacists, domestic terrorists, and even Christian insurrectionists. It doesn't matter that you are none of those things. If the leftists in Congress, the media, and big tech can make such lies stick, we will be the ones punished by losing our freedoms, our country, and possibly even our lives. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the Morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the Morning on American Family Radio. All
1: right, Sandy Rios, back with you. Today is the beginning of the impeachment trial, a second one for President Donald Trump. And uh, the source of this, the centerpiece of all of this, is going to be what happened on January 6th. And they're accusing him of inciting insurrection and violence. And that's why we're going to center on this, and we're going to be talking about it a lot. It's going to be the topic in Washington. You're going to be hearing about it. And we also know, because I've told you how the FBI and the Justice Department are just pulling out all the stops to, I'd say, persecute and prosecute any Trump supporters who were in D.C. on that day. And that's many of you, I think. It would have been me. Uh, and I wish I had been there again. I'd rather be with you on this and, instead of someone talking about it. Uh, because you took a bold stand, and God bless you for that, and that's what I wanted to do, too. Um, I have heard from a couple of friends. I want to just mention uh, another friend of mine, and these are people who uh, are well-connected in the D.C. area who, um, I'm just saying, they have some gravitas if I told you who they were. One of them was there, and she said that a provocateur uh, was there who kept encouraging everyone to come. And that they were uh, they were being the the people at the rally were being given free tours of the Capitol. So come on now, that's what this other friend had to say. I'll save this other one for just a second. Nancy is our guest. Nancy's a listener. That's not her real name, and she uh, let me know a couple yesterday that she was there and gave quite a vivid description. And that's what we've been talking about. Nancy, you said you saw these, especially these two women provocateurs, one with the uh, bullhorn. Uh, uh, very, uh, uh, see, vulgarly saying, screaming, get your blanking blanks up here, closer, mm-hmm. closer. And, uh, and then you described another one also. But and so my question is, from if you look back in time and you think about that, do you think they, did you see them walk from the Trump rally? Were they there when you got there? What, how, what can you say about that? Were they walking up that- when you were walking up? They were there when I got
9: there, as far as I know. They, um, but there were some that did lead us in that chant uh, as we walked down the street. So they may have been in the big, the front of the parade, sort of. Um, but sh- they were there when I got there,
1: and they, okay. they were on the left. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, they're and they're shouting. Uh, you know, whose house? Our house. Whose house? Our house. Mm-hmm. Which is, as we said is a similar chant to what uh, Black Lives Matter used a couple of nights ago in D.C. Whose streets, our streets, it's kind of typical of them. They they enter, they do, I've heard them do th- similar things before. I wanna mention one other thing before I go to the phones because I've all opened up the phone lines for any of you who were there to say what you saw. This is from another friend of mine. Nancy, you mentioned that there was a firecracker that came off the rise. You saw something, you, thought it, yeah. you described it as a firecracker. All right, so this is yeah. from my other friend. Um, A friend of mine, her friend, was at the Capitol that day. She had attended many Tea Party-type rallies and quickly recognized something was different. All of a sudden, she was hit in the leg with a flashbang fired by Capitol Police from an upper balcony overlooking the lawn area. The device tore off the bottom portion of her pant leg and singed her leg. Then a line of young men dressed in black marched by yelling, Hold the line, hold the line. She suspected they were antifa or antifa uh, sympathizers. And shortly after she and a few friends left, she has since been visited by the FBI. They accused her of being there and shouting, "Let's storm the Capitol!" And she burst out laughing. This is the telling because she is a grandmother, uh, and she, uh, you know, was not exactly screaming, "Let's storm the Capitol." So the the uh, the allegation is the FBI agent was just lying to intimidate her. She was uh, the the FBI agent and left, and she wasn't charged with anything. But the point in bringing that up at this point was that that flash you saw might have been what she's describing here, that flashbang fired mm-hmm. by Capitol Police from an upper balcony. That's pretty scary if that happened early right. on, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. And and it's, this was on kind of the left-hand
9: side, and it was on that upper balcony, and there were people in black up there. I don't know. There were also, like I say, the black Spider-Man type Antifa types that were climbing up the wall. Yeah. But there were also...
1: So it could have been. It could have been two, she was wrong about it being Capitol Police,
9: right? It, it, when you see the picture of them crawling through the windows, there's a short guy in camo, a round helmet, and he's got almost like football pads on it. It's all in camo, and he has a gun. Those two, and they're very short men. And two of those walked down the Capitol near us, and they were so peculiar and so they stuck out to me. I commented to my friend, they looked like they were. Halloween trick-or-treaters, you know, like in a costume. And then I later saw, when I saw the footage, I saw one of them going through the window. Um, I think they planted people in there. And another thing, another detail, we did sing My Country Tis of Thee and, um, before, and this was while that the girl with the bullhorn was nearby. It's almost like they know so well, they're studying our system to use it against us. It's almost like 9/11 when they studied our flight schools, I believe, and you know, kind of learned how to use our system so they can weaken it, or hurt it, or harm it. Yeah. And I, I just keep in the news as we go down through this strange cultural war. I, it seems like they study us and then turn it. Uh, well, to we know, advantage.
1: Nancy. We know mm-hmm. that that is exactly what communists and agitators do and infiltrators that's part of the psychological warfare that they wage there's no question about what George Soros does by renting evangelicals this is exactly what they do I want to go to the phones I'm going to use your first names but not your state okay so let's go to David Um, David uh, what did you see you were there that day right
6: yes I was and um, I I agree with Nancy's um, assessment about the people on the bullhorn one thing that I just remembered was in between the speeches at the at the rally, I would hear a voice here or a voice there behind me say, Storm the Capitol. And, I, you know, I thought nothing of it at the time. I thought, it, you know, that's ridiculous. Uh, but it, between speeches, I heard that. But by the time I got over to the Capitol, it, it sounds like it was after Nancy had arrived over there, it seemed like there were fifteen, twenty thousand 20,000 people already over there by the time I got over there. And the people on the bullhorns were real. It seemed organized. And the one thing that I kept hearing on the bullhorns, Sandy, was um, don't just stand there watching. This isn't a movie. Move closer and then hold the line. And voices like that over the bullhorn was encouraging people to move closer. And, uh, and as that was going on, th- that's when I saw people starting to climb the walls and moving up higher and higher, up the scaffolding and the tear gas and the pepper spray was going off. I got a whiff of it for the first time, and uh, it was very well organized, just like Nancy described. It was a different set of people completely from the, from the Trump rally. I, didn't, I wasn't as close to them like she was, so she could describe what they looked like, but um, they, it was definitely organized, and they were instructing us what to do.
1: Very interesting. Okay, David. Listen, I wish you had more time, but I need to get in more callers. But we'll probably open up and talk about this again. I want to say one thing. Uh, there was an article uh, that came out yesterday about how evidence is mounting that the Capitol breach was pre-planned. And I want to say that to, so that we are honest about all of this, uh, we have reason to believe that Oath Keepers was planning. At least thirty of them were planning on, uh, you know, uh, going into the into the Capitol. And uh, there were some others, too. So it uh, it might have been some of them. I don't know, and I want to make sure that we're as accurate as we possibly can be based on what we are seeing and hearing. Uh, This is um, uh, Carol. Carol, good morning. So what did you see? Hi,
11: uh, Sandy. Um, I got to the Capitol um, fairly early, not as early as your uh, first caller, but uh, the thing that I saw were when we got there, this is my third rally, and this one was different because I saw five or six ambulances staged to the left of the Capitol with their lights on. What I mean by stage, it's like they were lined up. And I remember when I saw them, I thought, that's strange. They must be expecting trouble. And, uh, but that was really weird. And then the other thing were the, were the, um, the police. I remember thinking they were like keystone cops, like they did not know how to make a perimeter, how to because they were up high and they just seemed so disorganized. And I remember thinking, Wow, this is why they have so much trouble in DC because they don't know what they're doing. Anyway, that's what I wanted to say.
1: No, Carol, that's a really very interesting. Thank you. Let's go to Karen in Ohio. Good morning, Karen.
10: Good morning. I noticed also that I had also been to three rallies. And I noticed and as, after someone had um, reminded me, remember there were people or police in riot gear the first two rallies, so many um, officers and I don't know if, milit- I don't know, but they were a part of keeping the crowds safe and uh, there wasn't one. I mean, you could count on one hand um, for 100,000 people walking from the Ellipse to the Capitol. I don't recall seeing any police officers, whereas the first two rallies, they had on their riot gear. I wondered, like, if there really was a riot, how would they be able to move if they had on so much gear? But that's what I noticed, that, yes, there were no police along, along the, the route from the Ellipse to the Capitol. So uh, that is kind of odd, I
1: think. Yes, it is odd, so, and of course, uh, we know now that, uh, I, you know what, I don't want to take your talk time to in, to interject. I would just say that we know now that uh, people, Capitol Hill, uh, the, the Capitol Police were begging for help, and they didn't get it, and they, that was before this event ever happened. So something was really rotten in Denmark, and you're just describing another aspect of it. Thank you, Karen. Let's go to Michelle. M- Michelle, what did you see? Um, so we were there, and...
7: One of the things that stood out the most to us, and my sister actually pointed it out later when we got home, she said, Did you know, do you remember that guy that walked in front of us that was, he was wearing like one of those like yellow Carhartt jackets and he just looked like dirty. He had no gear on, nothing American, like USA. Um, and, And he said, Come on, let's go. We're going to storm the Capitol now. Let's go. And he was aggressive. And we were, that was about 15 minutes after Trump started. Uh, talking and we're like no we're here to see trump speak and then we're going to march down there and you know do whatever and he and he just said basically you know let's go let's go and we were, so we just kind of passed it off we watched you know trump finish up and i agree with nancy the tone was light and um you, you know very you know patriotic and we you know we walked down we one of the things i think is amazing is i've never heard anybody cover there's um pro-abortion tables set up on the way. There was a Blacks for Trump section. We took photos with them. It was such a great atmosphere. And when we got there, we sat down um, on the pond across from the Capitol and saw everybody, you know, kind of cheering USA. Um, people were singing. One of the coolest things is that we were saying the Pledge of Allegiance, um, but nothing was hateful. And we saw some smoke bombs go off. And then we saw the, the police letting people into the Capitol building And they were just kind of backing up and moving, and we saw the people following them, you know, going into the building. And my husband and I said almost at the same time, wow, they're actually letting people go in there? That's kind of weird. Aren't they, you know, aren't they in session? And it was just so different than what the media had portrayed.
1: Yeah. Well, all right, Michelle. Uh, Interesting and very clear account. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, uh, my friend Mike Waller. When we have him on, he talked about all the all the all the colors of people there. Just a, a wide array, lots of Asian, Chinese, uh, lots of black. It was just amazing. Let's go to Pam in Texas. Good morning, Pam. You were there, and what did you see? Hi. Hey, yeah,
8: I saw most of um, just everything that Nancy said. I agree and echo. Um, the were you there early? Was- were you there
1: early also, Pam, at the Capitol? So.
8: Yes, we were cold, like Nancy, and we had been standing there for so long, and we couldn't really hear anything that um, Trump was saying, so we were like, let's just go ahead and march down. Well, by that time, like, by the time we got to the Capitol, there were thousands of people there already. It was insane, Um, and we saw saw people, you know, they, like, just started, like, going up the building, and I was like, that's crazy. Like, where are the police at? So, and they're carrying up their American flag, and... Um, the police were just nowhere, and they just let them come in. And I thought, wow, that's very strange. They're just letting people, you know, on the Capitol building. And then we saw the police come out, like very few of them, and they were throwing the tear gas and the pepper bombs. And um, at that point, we actually went back to our hotel um, to use the bathroom or whatever, and we came back, and after we came back, you know, everyone was leaving and all the – yeah. ashley babbitt
1: have been shot and everything so pam we're out of time and that's really sad for me because i would love to talk to you more all of you i'd love to talk to you more and nancy uh, i appreciate so much your willingness to share your story and to write to us and uh, let's stay in touch and all of you uh, let's do. tune Thank in you. and we'll we'll be the we'll be the cheerleaders as this is going to get rough And uh, we have to stick together, and we will. And we're going to do it over the air as best we can. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
3: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.